Welcome everybody to tell on our last episode, we talked about mental health and the church and we received a lot of positive feedback and our conversation was so good. Additionally, May is Mental Health Awareness Month and what better way to honor Mental Health Awareness Month than by continuing our conversation with Tell's first guest, my friend, Melissa. Melissa is a licensed life coach, has a degree in counseling, and has been involved in ministry for over 20 years. As friends and believers in Christ, Melissa and I have had conversations dating back five or six years uh, ago before even the pandemic regarding the Christian faith, the church, and mental health. Before we dive into today, for our listeners, if you have not yet listened to the previous episode published on Mental Health and the Church, released on April 26, 2022, please pause this episode and listen to that first episode, that episode first, as it will be a good basis for today's conversation. So with that, I want to welcome back my good friend, Melissa. I'm excited to have you back on today. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. Awesome. So we'll just uh, dive right into it today. Um, Mm -hmm. One topic that we didn't discuss last time was mental health regarding medication and Mm -hmm. how that can often be viewed in the church. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So I think um, I've heard various opinions on this, you know, over the years. Um, My opinion is I do not have a problem with people taking medication. I see medication as a tool. I don't see it as a cure necessarily for mental health issues. I think that it can be used in a way um, that can aid the person, whether it be anxiety, depression, or um, mental illness in regards to like bipolar disorder or Um, different personality disorders, you know. So for myself, um, I've experienced anxiety and depression in the past, and I have chosen to use medication, um, but I've also chosen in that process to seek out professional counseling, as well as to be a part of um, church community, you know, to talk to friends and family about what I'm going through, that sort of thing. So I don't think that medication is the cure. I don't think it's the do-all, be-all, say-all. I think that it, you know, can aid in what you have going on in your life. And to, you know, bring that around, I think the church or some in the church have viewed medication as a crutch you know, um, there's this, in my opinion, and I'm going to say in my opinion a lot, because um, we often, or I have often heard in the church, you know, well, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And if you just prayed more, if you just repented, if you just dealt with this generational sin, if you just And I think that there can be relevance to that, but I do not think, I think that can actually be used as a crutch um, in a way that actually brings shame to people and can cause even further hurt, even further trauma to people. So to go into that, I think a lot of times when people 
use medication, oftentimes it can be due to past trauma and trauma can be categorized in so many different ways. You know, trauma can be childhood trauma. Trauma can be something that we witnessed with our eyes, but didn't physically witness with our bodies. But the thing is, is when you witness something with your eyes, even though you may not have been physically touched, you still witness it with your body because your body takes on that trauma. And some people are more susceptible to that because some people feel more, some people take in more because they're more sympathetic, they're more empathetic. You know, so if I see someone being hit or someone being beat because of the type of person I am and the type of personality I have, I'm very much the type of person that's, I am justice oriented. So I'm like, that needs to be stopped for one, but also I'm going to take that in because I'm also very mercy, mercy oriented. There's a good book um, called The Body Takes the Score. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but um, it talks about how when we experience trauma, how our body takes that on. And for some people, they carry that in their lungs, they carry that in their joints, they carry that, you know, through anxiety, um, through depression, um, chronic pain, um, you know, asthma, different things like that. Um, So it's a really interesting book because it really explains how different people take on traumatic experiences. Did you say the body takes the score? The body takes the score. Okay. This is a really good book. Um, Also, in regards to, you know, talking about, oh, Jesus is enough, you know, that sort of thing. The interesting thing, and we talked about this last time, is, you know, Jesus never brought shame to people. Um, He always highlighted uh love and he always highlighted like the person for who they really were so he spoke to their very identity rather than saying oh you have this issue now there were times of rebuke um but it was never to bring shame and i think that a lot of times we have this ideal or the church I mean, and when I say the church, I'm using a general sense. It's, you know, not, I'm not picking on anyone. I'm just saying that um, we can, we are a little bit hypocritical because sometimes we say, oh, Jesus is enough. Don't take that medication or that depression or anxiety, but we'll turn around and we will take medication for our heart or we will take medication for, you know, um, something else, like, we'll take Advil for a headache, but (laughs) we won't take medication for mental health issues, which is still a health issue. And to go into that, you know, to go back into trauma, people take trauma on differently, people take on things differently, you know, depending on what kind of a household you that you were raised in you may have a different capacity for joy than I do and what I mean by that is 
you may have the capacity to bounce back from disappointment and shame and hurt and guilt and despair than I do because whoever was the person that you attached to as a young girl was able to model to you what it was to bring back your to bring yourself back to joy within a certain amount of time so your brain chemistry could be different from my brain chemistry so people that are modeled and taught how to bounce back from difficult situations and from from painful emotions and are able to get back to true joy. And I'm not talking about artificial joy. I'm not talking about where you go and you run and you eat cookies to make yourself better, where you go and you sit in front of the TV for hours to make yourself feel better. That's not joy. That's not true joy. Um, I'm talking about true joy where you're able to gather yourself and connect with the person you may be in disagreement with, or the person that you're struggling with, or, you're able to look at something in a more positive light rather than in a negative light. Now, some of that is not in our control. You know, as a child, it is not in our control what our environment will be like. So, for example, you may have a child, you know, you may have people in the same family, like let's say cousins, and in one household, you have a child that was nurtured and a child that was seen and a child that was listened to. And then in the other home, you may have a child that was um, neglected that may not have been literally beaten, but could have been neglected, not listened to, not seen. And their capacity for joy is different from the other child's capacity for joy. And a lot of this is modeling behaviors. So when these two children grow up to be adults, if they don't learn how to um, give and receive joy that creates connection with other people, their brain chemistry will be very different. And so with that, that one person that was neglected may not have that brain chemistry that creates dopamine and serotonin and all of those feel-good chemicals that are actually very healthy for us and are, you know, what God made our bodies and our biology to be. And therefore, they may actually need medication in as an adult because their brain chemistry, their brain is unable to create those chemicals. I know that's a very long conversation, but it is just interesting how the Lord has wired our brains to give and receive and how as adults, as caregivers, as parents, we have the capacity and the capability to teach our children and to model to them and you may say to me, well, if I don't have that, how do I, how do I pass that on? How do I give that to, you know, my children? And that goes into learning how to have a connection with Jesus. 
Because if we don't have it as a child and then we grow up and we're, we have deficits. And so with those deficits, it is harder for us to connect with the Lord. And therefore it's harder for us to connect with people in different ways. Like, you know, friendships, brothers, sisters, um, co-workers, you know, um, husbands, wives. And so there is a way that we can rebuild that, but it's actually being very aware of it and actually seeking that out to change it. I have a question on something to take it back a little bit and give Mm -hmm. an example of the two folks, the one that is not, you said is not able to um, create the dopamine and the chemicals, so they may Mm -hmm. need medication. Mm -hmm. Is it that that person cannot um, produce it at all, cannot produce it in that moment for that situation, excuse me, or um, just can produce very little of it? So it's very dependent on the person. And this was just an example I was giving, but for some people, their that part of their brain is just shut off like you know you you may have met some people um who are just see life with a different lens they may be more pessimistic they may be more negative about things they may be more anxious they may have a lot of worries a lot of fears things scare them more easily those are the people where that part of their brain is more shut off the people that that's just a very basic example, but people that are more joy, like genuinely joy filled, they can take a negative situation and it could be, you know, it could be hurtful for them. It could be, it could be disappointing for them, but they can take that situation and they can, they can turn it into a positive, you know, this happened and it was hurtful or it was disappointing, but I'm still going to trust the Lord. I am still going to believe I still know that God is good. Or, um, for example, even for non-Christians, you know, I still trust that this will turn out well. I'm still going to keep a positive attitude. Those are the people where that part of their brain is open and is able to produce that dopamine. So not to say that those people won't need medication, but they're less likely to need medication in times of depression, in times of anxiety. Right. Right. So how will one know at that point if they need medication? Um, You know, for myself, it took me a while to realize um, I, so I started Back in 2009, I did my undergrad in psychology. And so I knew a little bit about counseling, but really didn't know the extent of what I was getting myself into. Um, And in that time, I started to see a counselor because the college that I went to offered counseling because the students that were there in the grad program, they could offer it for free basically. So I started going. And then in 2011, I started my graduate program um, in counseling. And um, I just started to realize for myself, like how growing up, there was an underlying issue of anxiety and depression. 
I didn't know that what it that that's what it was. I knew I had a lot of fear and worry, but I wasn't able to identify what it really was up until that point. And I started learning about it and I started educating myself on it. And at the same time, um, you know, I was in an environment where I was very involved in the church and in interning in my church at the time. And so I just feel like I became very aware very quickly of my need for extra help. And my extra help involved professional counseling and my extra help involved being a part of a women's prayer ministry. You know, um, my extra help involved um, getting different types of like prayer ministry in regards to um, restoring the foundations, which I mentioned the last time on the podcast. So I think it really is like having the self-awareness or having someone that can be in your court, whether that be your medical doctor, whether that be actually going to a counselor, whether that be a good friend, mentor, you know, pastor, you know, whomever, they can actually sit down with you and go through the pros and the cons and say to you, okay, this is what I see in you. This is what I see could be a hindrance. This is what I could see needs, you know, extra help, extra healing in your life. For me, it, I just came to the point that I had experienced so much up until that point, different trauma on the mission field and then in my personal life that I wasn't very functional at that point. I was in just a very unhealthy place and it was affecting my relationships with other people. And when things start affecting your relationships with other people, when it is affecting your job performance, your school performance, you know, um, romantic relationships, fill in the blank because all of these are relationships in one form or another that is indication of, okay, something needs to change for me. And I, I need help figuring out what I need to change. Okay. That's good. That's good. I, I would presume that at that point, um, you probably had tried other strategies, couple mm-hmm. mechanisms of counseling, like you said, mm-hmm. speaking to pastors and maybe using the tools and and things were still not working out so you need that okay so with that that actually leads me to my next question Mm -hmm. what if someone has been told by their healthcare professional that they should be taking medication Mm -hmm. but they have hesitation Mm -hmm. about it because they say well God can cure all I'm I'm Mm -hmm. faithful you know but perhaps they may still be struggling with Mm -hmm with things of, you know, depression, anxiety, any kind of mental health, what would you say to that person? You know, there's a listener out there Mm -hmm. who said, you know, I've been told by my doctor, but you know, he doesn't know my faith, you know, what what Mm -hmm. would you tell that person? Sure. I think bottom line with that is, is it really is your personal choice? For me, I knew that I couldn't keep going the way that I was going. I did not have the energy Here's another thing about anxiety and depression, particularly depression. When you're really facing that, your body is tired. 
your brain is tired, your emotions are tired. And so you do not have the energy to do a lot of things that can help you feel better, like eat better or exercise or go and be a part of a small group or be a part of a social group or different things like that. So um, when you're to that point and you do not have the energy to move forward, I think you then need to explore, okay, I don't have the energy for any of this. This has been going on for quite a while. Um, and really talk to a professional about it because you can't change someone's mind when they have a belief. If someone truly has a belief of, I do not believe in taking medication for, you know, um, anxiety, depression, you know, even like um, heart disease or anything like that, you can't change their mind. They're going to have to figure that out for themselves. So I would say if you're facing that and you're too, too, if your belief system is, no, I will not take medication then explore other things, explore natural remedies like St. John's wort is a really good um, supplement to take for anxiety and depression. A supplement called SAM-E. I took that when I came back from the mission field and I was having a lot of like um, issues with my joints and that helped um, with those joints and it also helped just with my emotional health as well, but eventually I needed something different. So, you know, um, one thing that a lot of counselors were tried before they even put someone on medication is how are you eating? How are you sleeping? Are you exercising? Are you involved in anything socially? Have you had a physical in the past year? For myself, when I had all of that going on, I had food sensitivities that I couldn't eat a lot of different things. So a lot of the things I was eating was affecting my emotional state as well. Um, and I was anemic at the time. So I had a lot of different factors going on. But after I was able to get those things treated, I started to feel a lot better and I was able to function better. And then once I started with the antidepressant, I felt even better. So I was getting out, you know, I was walking, I was doing different things socially. I was, you know, so it really is dependent on the person. I can't look at someone who doesn't believe that and say, oh, you need to go take this. And they're like, no way. The sad thing is, is that there are people who think they don't need it and it can ultimately be to their own demise, you know, um, whether that be to put themselves in danger, to put others in danger, um, you know, people, a lot of people that commit suicide is because they have been on medication and then they go off of it. People that have true mental illness and the fact of like bipolar disorder or um, you know, like I mentioned before, different personality disorders, chronic depression. So we won't go down that road right now. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I'll stop there and just, if you have any questions, you can ask me. 
Yeah, that was actually one of my questions was, you know, someone you, you hit the nail on the head and when it comes things to something um, that we haven't mentioned much, something different like bipolar or any other kind of mental health mm-hmm. issues, you know, if they're already taking medication and are thinking about changing and things like that, I didn't want to, you know, mm-hmm. talk about that, what you did. I mean, it's something definitely once you're on it, it's something definitely that should be continued to be monitored mm-hmm. by a health professional. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, at the beginning you were mentioning about, which I was thinking the same thing, like we don't think of mental health care and physical care the same, like mm-hmm. if the doctor tells you to take, you know, blood pressure medicine, you know, or more mm-hmm. apt to let's say, go ahead and take that versus it, it, you know, when we're people of faith for the most part, I mean, you still have people that are like, I'm not going to take that, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to say that, you know, first of all, for our listeners, you know, like, you know, we said, Melissa and I have big faith where we're talking about counseling. We're talking about getting your church involved, um, but we're saying there are other strategies as well that can work. Um, we don't have to end it because there is a science, right? And God made scientists. And it's my mm-hmm. belief that, you know, God anointed people to be doctors and um, we all have different gifts. And I would say to that person who's considering not sure, um, you know, to pray on it, to pray about mm-hmm. it. If you feel, if you have the mental capacity to pray about it and you are a person of faith, that would be um, a good place, mm-hmm. a good place to start. And um, like Melissa was saying, also lifestyle changes. It would be the same thing. If you're borderline hypertension, you'd mm-hmm. be doing the same thing. The doctor should be talking to you mm-hmm. about lifestyle changes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, I just want to mention this, and this is not something that we hear a lot about, but in the Bible, it actually talks a lot about, you know, using um, the medicine of the day. So for them, the medicine of the day looks a whole lot different from the medicine of the day that we have. And I want to be careful there because there are medicines that in actuality treat symptoms rather than just heal a person. And I kind of feel like that there is, you know, medication that can truly bring healing and then medication that does treat symptoms because you know holistically if you look at our bodies we're talking about mental health and well-being and we're also talking about physical well-being so treating the whole person holistically rather than treating them oh this is okay for you to take medication this is not okay for you to take medication for so I just want to actually bring scripture into this um, if you look in Isaiah 38, when it talks about King Hezekiah being mortally ill with skin disease, he had boils, um, and he cries out in prayer for God's healing. You know, this is him crying out. This is him going to God first, and God hears him, and he extends healing to him. But that healing comes through the medicine of the day, which was a cake of figs that would be applied to his skin. And so God blesses the use of modern day medicine then and brings healing to King Hezekiah. Um, Another one is in Luke 10, 34, where Jesus is talking about the good Samaritan and, you know, how he's beaten and he's robbed and he's left for dead. 
but the good Samaritan comes by and to help the man heal, he bandages his wounds and uses the medicine of the day, which is oil and wine, which Jesus highlighted in the story. And that is where this man's love and care, the good Samaritan to the man that was beaten, involved medical care. Um, and I don't think that we generally think about it that way, but these people were actually using medicinal purposes of the time. Um, in Jeremiah 8.22, we see the prophet lamenting about this lost hope and the destruction of Jerusalem, and he likens it to the lack of medicine. Okay, if you look at that scripture, it is the lack of medicine, which he refers to as the balm of Gilead. Um, and how there is a lack of doctors for healing and, res and um, restoration. I think that that's really interesting if you really look at that scripture and you really break it down. So the scripture points out that they had a common practice of having medicine and doctors for their health and healing. Medical care was a sign of God's blessing. Um, here's another one. And this talks about people, um, medication used for the dying, depressed, and anxious. So in biblical times, there was a tradition and a practice of using strong drink and wine for medicinal purposes. So strong drink was often used as an anesthetic for those who were dying or condemned to death to help numb their suffering and pain. And then wine had a range of medicinal purposes that was also used for medicinal effect to help relieve depression, anxiety, um, specifically for those who are mourning and grieving. So you can look that up in Proverbs 31, 6 or Jeremiah 16, 7 and 8, because um, when they talk about the cup of consolation, they're not actually talking about the spirit. They're talking about wine. Um, so it was a spirit, but it was not the Holy Spirit. So both were being used for medicinal purposes, not for drunkenness. So I'm not saying, I'm not promoting drinking for mental illness or for emotional or physical pain. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> um, I'm not promoting that. What I'm saying is there was a custom and a practice in biblical times where they were using the medicine of the time to help suffering, to help those with depression, anxiety, and those with overwhelming grief. So it was the medicine of the time. We have medicine of our time now that can be a benefit to people. Is it healing? Is it gonna completely heal them? No, but it can aid in their healing process. And I want to make that very clear. Um, and none of these, particularly when they talk, you know, when they talked about um, using strong drink and wine, that was bringing total healing to them. That was bringing consolation to them to help calm them. And then they had people that came alongside of them to help them through that process. And so going back to what I was saying before is, I think a lot of times when there's not understanding and there's not 
a real heart to come alongside of a person and to say, you know what, I don't completely understand this, but I will stand with you in it. I will stand by your side. I'm not going to judge you for it. I'm just going to be with you in it. And that's generally what people need unless they are putting themselves in danger or putting others in danger to where you have to stand up and say, okay, this is what I see. And I think you need, I think you need more help than what you're getting. I have been in that place. I have, you know, um, offered that to different people in my life. Some have listened and some have not. And that's the thing. You can't take responsibility for what that person is going to do. But if you see someone in that place and you care for that person and you love that person, then yes, it is your responsibility to say, hey, I see you in this and I care for you. And I do believe that there's more for you. Wow, that is that is excellent. It reminded me when you were saying there that, again, medicine is seen as a tool. It's not a cure-all. Like we talked about mm-hmm. in the first episode, you know, there's all these different components. We're looking at health and mental health from a holistic point of view, right? Yeah. Because we're a full body, we're moving parts. Um, mm-hmm. So I think this is a great, great, great conversation. Um, something else that comes to mind with the medication Um I know from the physical part, um, you know, it would be the same as a mental, I would suppose I'm asking you, maybe one medication that the doctor starts, you may not be the right one. Mm -hmm. You may, you might have to give that some time as well too. So that's something else to, Mm -hmm. to take into effect. You know, we're also not saying run and just take medication Mm -hmm. as well. um, But also it's a holistic, um, it's a holistic view. Yeah, and I I meant to mention that earlier. Sometimes different medications will not work for you. Um, I am a very sensitive person when it comes to different medications, even to supplements. And so I had the realization the other day, I had been taking a supplement and I was noticing how I was feeling on it and I didn't feel right. I was having like acid reflux and... um, I just noticed that my attitude was a little bit different and I wasn't, you know, as positive as I normally was. And so I stopped taking it just to see how it would make me feel. And once I stopped taking it, I started feeling better. The acid reflux went away. My um, attitude got better. And when I read the back of the label, now I've been taking this for a while, um, but I had gotten off of it for a little while just because I ran out of it. And so I got more of it. And when I started taking it and I started having these issues and I read the back of the label and it has beef bovine in it. And I can't do animal, like I can't do beef bovine. For whatever reason, my body does not like it and I have issues with it. So, and I can't even do collagen. Like, you know, I, I see all these wonderful things about collagen and, you know, all, all these supplements and stuff. And so I've tried it every single time I try it. It just does not work for me. And that's just a small example of something not working. And so you just you have to move on to something different. Um, you know, for example, um, my different people in my family have to take blood centers. 
Some blood thinners work for some people. They don't work for other people. Um, my husband is really sensitive, like I'm sensitive, but he's really sensitive to things. And if it like, if there's even one iota of it messing with his system, he's like, nope. And he works in the medical field, which is funny. So <laughs> you just have to be aware and it's okay if it's not working for you. It can be really frustrating when you're working with a doctor and one medication doesn't work. And so you have to move on to another you know, I've had friends and relatives who have been through that, and it is really trial and error. And it's annoying because, you know, not everything fits. It's not a one size fits all for everybody. So that can be a very frustrating thing. I think that's when you have to have the support of people around you, especially when you're taking an anti-anxiety or an antidepressant you know, or something like that, um, is you have that extra support to help you through that process to realize, okay, am I isolating myself? Am I just, um, instead of going outside, am I just staying in bed? Am I just sitting and watching TV? Um, am I enjoying things I used to enjoy? That's another indicator. If you stop enjoying things you used to enjoy, then that is indication of, okay, there's something going on inside of me and I need to get help as to figure out what that is. So I'm glad you said that because it's been a couple for the last, like, I don't know, 15 or 20 years, I've always read like, okay, if you stop enjoying what you used to enjoy for more than two weeks, then that's when you should be concerned. I mean, because I know I have times that there are just weeks where I'm like mentally exhausted or just mm -hmm. a lot going on where I don't feel like doing the things that like I enjoy, mm -hmm. or I may feel like I don't like, like enjoy this, but I go back to those commercials in my head, like, okay, has it been more than two weeks? Should I be concerned? Yeah. What, what, <laughs> what do you have to say about that? Um, so I think there are seasons in our life where we stop enjoying things because you, like you said, you're exhausted. When we're exhausted, yeah, we don't enjoy life because we need that rest and we need that sleep, whether it be physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion, whatever that looks like for you. And so that's when you have to realize, and maybe we can talk about this in the future, but that brings in boundaries and brings in, okay, am I putting up personal boundaries for myself where I can take care of me and I can bring in self-care to take care of me because you may not have the capacity to have ongoing exhaustion like that. There may, leg there may legitimately be times where you have to just because of life, you, you know, because you have kids and you have a husband and you know, for um, if your husband is on deployment or if they're out of town or you have a big project that's due at work, whatever, fill in the blank. If you have a newborn baby, if you have a sick child, you know, just different things like that. There's different seasons for that. So, but if it's an ongoing thing where there's nothing that you can really do to improve that, or even when you put up those boundaries, it's like, oh, I'm still exhausted. Why am I feeling this way? That's when you need to um, you need to look at look at that and say, okay, is this 
is this a thing that is truly affecting my mental health? Um, do I need to just have an extra day of rest, an extra hour of rest, an extra five minutes of rest? <laughs> you know, do I need to take time for myself? Do I need to tell this person no? Do I need to not volunteer for that thing? Do I need, you know, whatever it is, I am the type of person and I'm, I have learned this over the years, but I grew up very, like, I had this mentality of um, very high achiever. Well, I got, I've got to do this and I got to do that. And, you know, um, my husband and I talk about this often. We, you know, for both of us, just as grownups trying to um, really work all of this out of a case of FOMO, fear missing out. Like, I don't really have that anymore. Neither one of us, of, of us have that anymore, but in our 20s, you know, you have this major fear of missing out. Like, oh, if I'm not doing that, if I'm not doing that. Like, <laughs> you know, just, um, and, and that can be pervasive. That can go on throughout your life, but really being more settled in yourself, getting to know yourself, learning, okay, this works for me. This doesn't work for me. This is life-giving to me. This is not life-giving to me. This actually takes energy from me. It doesn't give me energy. Um, is it good for me to go out and get 10 minutes of sunlight during the day rather than just sitting in my home office? You know, and so, yeah, it is. My husband works nights and he works in the medical field. He loves, he is Kenyan. He loves being outside. He loves the sun. Like I would totally be happy for him to have a day job and be able to get outside during the day, but that's not his reality. So for him on his days off, he literally goes outside and sits on our deck sometimes for 10, 20 minutes at a time just to get the sun. So it may be as simple as that, just figuring out, okay, what works for me and what doesn't work for me, what's healthy for me and what's not. Yeah, Melissa, so everything that you were saying is reminding me of this book that I'm reading now. Uh, it's by Pastor Tere Roberts, and it's literally called Balance, the Balance Ooh. book. And everything that you're saying is um, right on point. You know, how do we balance things out, especially in a crazy world like this? Um, and I'll, I'll probably be referring to that and quotes to that in, in future episodes, because it's a, it's a passion of mine, I think, especially Nowadays and age, there's so much going on, so much mm -hmm. noise that we just have around us. So like yeah. you said, you know, it looks different for everybody. For your husband, it's 10 minutes in the sun. You know, for me, maybe going on a walk. Um, mm -hmm. So it looks it looks different from everyone. Um, earlier in the episode, you mentioned um, how people grow up and their attachment and their experience mm -hmm. of how they're attached uh, to, to people, their nurturer, their caregiver, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that attachment? Sure. Um, so I don't know how many of the listeners have heard about attachment styles. I, I, you know, it's interesting because when I was in grad school, we talked a little bit about it, but it wasn't something where I took a course or anything on it. And then a couple of years ago, I was 
involved um, in a church and working with a pastor. And she got me involved in this ministry um, called Thrive. And they really focus on like brain skills and how to bring a person back to joy, how to teach a person how to attach and how to have a secure attachment with the Lord. So it's actual skills that teach you how to do this. And one of the ladies that teaches this and has written books on it, her name is Maribeth Poole, and she actually lives um, here in North Carolina um, in the Raleigh-Durham area. And so we can, um, after the podcast, we can post a reference to her website and um, I can post a reference just to the attachment styles. So there's four attachment styles. The first one is a secure attachment style. This style is low in anxiety and avoidance. So a secure attachment style tends to lead to stable filling relationships. Just gonna give a quick overview of all of these. The second attachment style is an anxious preoccupied attachment style, which is high in anxiety and low in avoidance. So with a person that has an anxious preoccupied attachment, um, their relationships tend to thrive on drama and they generally have lower trust in people. Um, number three is a dismissive avoidant attachment style, which is low in anxiety and high in avoidance. So this means the attachment style may lead to more distant relationships, sometimes stemming from a fear of commitment. And then number four is a fearful avoidant attachment style, which is high in both anxiety and avoidance. So people who display this attachment style are often drawn to close relationships, yet they are simultaneously fearful of them. So they're the type of person that's like, you know, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then they turn around, and they're like, I don't need, I, I don't even want to be around you. Like, it's, it's just the back and forth of that. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, people may be listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm this one, I'm that one, I have this attachment style. I can remember when I first started learning about this, it made me like, oh my goodness, what is my attachment style? But the truth is, is that None of us have a per perfect attachment style. Even people that have secure attachment styles may um, experience, you know, uh, anxious in their attachment. They may um, experience dismissiveness. They may experience fear. And it really is about developing a secure attachment style with the Lord um, as a Christian, and that is something that you can grow in. That is something that can be developed. Does it take time? Yes. It is really learning how to, um, and the interesting thing about this is, and in, in, I actually did this with this lady, um, with some of the courses that she's taught, and I did it with um, the pastor that I was working with a few years back. Her name is Joanne Alexander, and she actually teaches courses on this and has a website that I can um, give Jess and she can add that to the podcast. But what it does is it really teaches you how to 
in those places, you, and you know for yourself, what is the first thing that your mind or your heart jumps to when there's things that come up? A lot of times mine jumps to anxiety. Mine jumps to, oh, is this going to be all right? Oh, I need to fix this, or I need to do this, or blah, 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 blah. And one thing that's, that's really helped me, like that's even made me realize even more so is getting married because now I have another person in my life and I see how I react or not react that to that other person. But just to give people hope and consolation is this is something that can be changed in your life. This is something you can grow. You can grow your joy. You can actually for lack of a better way of putting it you can grow your brain um you can grow those attachments in your brain you can grow the um the dopamine the serotonin in your brain because when we connect with other people and we, when we genuinely connect with the lord something happens in our brain chemistry as well where it's like the lights pop on and then everything in our brain starts moving around and it's like, oh, oh, I like this. Oh, that's genuine connection. Oh, that's joy. This is what it really feels like. I wish y'all could see all the hand gestures. <laughs> Melissa's doing all these hand gestures over her brain. So just, yes, all the, I'm like, yes, all the dopamine and gestures and brain uh, development going on there. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, we are running out of time, but before we close out, is there anything else that you would like to share with the audience um, that you, you, anything else you wanted to, wanted to share that you didn't get a yeah, chance just, to? Just really quickly, um, for those who are struggling right now with maybe anxiety, depression, even panic, you know, I, years ago, I had um, issues with panic attacks and anxiety and depression and I would listen to different people talk and different people that had joy or that had hope and all of this and it was really hard for me because the pain of the anxiety the depression and the panic was so overwhelming at the time and I just hope I want this to be hopeful for people I want people to understand that there is hope that there is help and that speaking from my own personal experience of having experienced, you know, all of those things that I mentioned, um, I am not perfect, but I am in a much healthier, I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my life emotionally. And I do believe that that is available for people and to find that help and what works for them. Um, and so I just want to say to those that are, you know, in that place right now, because it is, it is hard and it, and it hurts, um, when you're in that place and you don't feel like there's much hope that there is hope and, um, and there's no shame in reaching out to people that to let them know, okay, I do need help. Um, and I wish, you know, for those listening that I could diminish that fear for those people and I could diminish that shame. Um, so I just, I want to, you know, just bless everyone that's listening to the podcast right now and bless you to find the help that you need and to that, you know, the Lord would just um, release a sense of hope and a sense of relief and comfort. 
to those who are going through this right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you're leading right into it because I was going to ask if you can pray for anyone listening right now mm -hmm. who, who maybe anything here may resonate with them and just, mm -hmm. just pray for that person. Okay. Yeah, so let's go ahead and do that. Okay. You want to go ahead and pray? Sure. Yeah. So, Father, I, I thank you uh, for this conversation with Jessica, Lord. I thank you for just the things that you're putting on her heart to share on her podcast. I pray, Lord, for those who are in a place right now where they may be anxious or they may have um, depression, going through depression, a panic, any of that right now, um, as well as those who are struggling. Should I take medication? Should I not take medication? Father, I just ask for clarity. I ask Holy Spirit that you would be with those who are in the struggle, who are facing um, the emotional, the mental, and the physical pain of this, God. I pray for your consolation to come, Holy Spirit. I pray for wisdom for their lives. If medication is the way for them, I pray that you would open up their hearts and their minds to it. I pray that you would bring alongside the right people to stand with them um, and to hold their hand through the process. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring the presence of Jesus and the Father in yourself to them to let them know that they are not alone. Lord, I pray that this podcast would be a blessing to those who are hearing it, um, that you would bless Jessica, you would bless her family and her children you would give her rest, God. Um, and Lord, I pray for that balance and um, your spirit, God, to bless each listener tonight. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I too want to encourage anyone, if you know someone that's struggling, reach out to them. We'll put some more resources in the um in the notes section, again, with it being Mental Health Awareness Month, even though this should, again, we shouldn't wait for a month and a day, or a day to think about these things. Again, holistic health is not just physical, but it's mental, um, financial, and all the things. So, Melissa, thank you so very much for another awesome podcast. Thank mm -hmm. you for sharing your testimony and telling your story mm -hmm. and giving God the glory. That is so awesome. Yeah. Uh, appreciate your time and your knowledge. Um, Thanks again for being here. It's always You're a pleasure. You're welcome. So thank you listeners as well for listening today and tuning in. Um, looking forward to hearing from you on what other mental health or self-help topics you would like to hear. You can comment on the um, podcast episodes wherever you're listening to or leave it on our Facebook page if you're not following uh, Tell with Jessica Vasquez Facebook page as well and until next time I love you and be blessed